right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Thanks for tuning in. I don't know. We didn't get a chance to talk about this yesterday, but uh, the situation going down in Oklahoma, this is wild. Uh, a reporter from the OU student newspaper used binoculars from a public building to report that Caleb Williams was practicing with the first team. And then he he got quotes from Spencer Rattler's dad, and because Lincoln Riley was unhappy with that, and OU was unhappy with that, Lincoln Riley canceled media availabilities yesterday and made it so that there would not be a media availability through the rest of the week. <laughs> okay, first of all, I mean, I'm not really interested in getting in the is this okay from a journalism debate thing because I just don't really care. Um, this is a funny story, honestly. The fact that this kid had, like, the thought process to do this, resourceful, man. Resourceful, doing his job. And then... uh for OU, for Lincoln Riley, I mean, I I guess that's your prerogative if you don't want something to get out. I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, on one hand, I don't know, you, you can argue that, like, media availabilities were created and, you know, talking to media members, giving quotes and stuff was first created, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago when you you didn't know what was going on with the games, right? You were having to just read about it in the newspaper the next day, right? Or listen to the game on the radio when you couldn't consume social media and, and different ways of, of figuring stuff out. And so that was the only way to hear from the coach. Well, that's not really the case anymore. So I guess it is their prerogative to do this, even though it's kind of weak by Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma to do just that. It'd be a real shame, a real shame. If somebody called in at the Big 12 teleconference and prank called Lincoln Riley just as Mike Gundy was prank called, another Oklahoma school. Let's go. What are people drinking in the water down there? But yeah, that I don't know. I'm just I'm just stating a fact, you know. Nothing to do with, with me or anything, but it would be a real shame if that did end up happening. Um that sounds like something that would happen with when David Beatty was here at Kansas. David Beatty is in the news today. He was informed, or him and his lawyer, his party, whatever you want to call it, was informed by the IARP that the notice of allegations, specifically against him, that was involved in, in that stuff from KU has been wiped away, wiped clean of everything. So, I mean, first of all, that's probably good for Kansas, just one less thing that you have to worry about in the IARP, but... I don't really think that was going to go anywhere anyway, so uh, not sure that mattered too much. But now you don't even have to worry about that, which is a positive. 
David Beatty's obviously happy about it because, I don't know, I'm sure this has impacted his ability to get a job somewhere else. Um, it'd be a mistake if anybody offered him a head coaching job, but you're talking about a guy who was a wide receivers coach at Texas A&M. Like, certainly he would be able to get a position coach's job or an analyst role at at certain schools, and I'm sure this kind of prevented him from doing that. And, you know, it it's... I don't know. It's a weird position to be put in because I don't have really any sympathy for David Beatty, to be completely honest. Like, he made millions of dollars being a terrible coach at the University of Kansas who, if you talk to some former players, you'll find out that they don't feel like he always treated them well and that he might have had some things going on. Um, I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. But, you know... He always felt like he was worried about the wrong thing, and again, I'll I'll just leave it at that. There's no point in in re-getting to this. Um, but Jeff Long, this just further iterates the idea of how dumb this whole thing was by Jeff Long to try to you know basically what, what was the term? Find some skeletons in the closet and try to sue him out of an extra couple million dollars. You should have just let him have the money, you know, like. You signed him to this contract. He was a terrible coach, but that's just part of the deal. You just pay the buyout and you move on. That was so silly to begin with and so silly that Jeff Long allowed it to get to that point where you had to settle in court. You had to pay all these legal fees, and now we have this story coming out because you self-basically regulated and, and told on yourself. Just further proof that it's good what Kansas has now and... With Travis Goff in charge, I think there's a lot of confidence in Travis Goff because he's a professional, seems to know what he's doing, seems like a smart guy, right? It would be worrisome had Jeff Long had to hire the next football coach for many reasons. Um, It would also be worrisome if Jeff Long was your AD at any point when, let's say, Bill Self retired at some point and Jeff Long had to hire the next basketball coach, it would be problematic for, you know, Jeff Long handling. Could you imagine? I mean, because that's what this brings up to me, is just how mishandled things were under Jeff Long. And could you imagine right now, with everything going on with Big 12 expansion, with conference realignment, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, how confident would you feel if Jeff Long was at the helm leading the charge to try to find the best spot for Kansas? I know I wouldn't feel great about that. So, you know, it's worked out now that Kansas has Travis Goff and that Jeff Long is no longer with the program. And this is probably, I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if we, another story pops up that like of something that occurred during his time that like we knew about, but it's just like now it's been resolved. They're like, this is an aftermath story. You know, like somebody looks back, they do a story in the athletic, like in 10, in eight years or something. Ten years ago, Kansas had Snoop Dogg at their late night in the fog. This is what happened behind the scenes with Jeff Long. Like, we hear more stories about things that we already knew about, but uh, like we knew about this David Beatty thing, but it just kind of adds to the idea of like how how messed up was the top of the food chain of the athletic department there with Jeff Long for KU and Good to be moving on. Good for David Beatty that he doesn't have to worry about this and can get a new job, even though, you know, I wouldn't want to be the school hiring him. 
let him live his life. So we'll end it at that. Uh, the Big 12 media preseason poll is out for basketball. You won't believe who's number one. Kansas, pick number one. Maybe the most interesting thing, though, Kansas was not a unanimous vote as number one for the Big 12 media preseason poll. Um, it No matter what is impossible to get all 10 votes, because every coach votes, but you can't vote for your own school. So a unanimous vote would mean you'd be getting nine out of 10 first place votes. Kansas got eight. That means somebody voted for another school. And we have no idea who it is. Could it be Scott Drew? Could it be... Hmm. I'm trying to think the most likely candidate because Texas got both the other first place votes. Scott Drew would... That seems like something he would do. Um... Not that I really care. And, I mean, Texas is going to be a really good team. So, there's nothing wrong with that. Could it have been Bruce Weber? Just to try to keep that away. Could it have been whoever Texas Tech's coach is now? I can't remember his name, but got promoted from within. He trusts Chris Beard. Honestly, though, who cares? Uh, this is what Bill Self had to say, and it you know rings pretty true. Preseason polls don't mean anything other than the fact we hope to have a team that has a great chance to have a great season. I'm excited about this group, and I'm really excited about the competitiveness of what we consider to be the best league in America. And that's the thing. Yes, preseason bowls don't mean anything. So who cares? But I do think it's interesting of the confidence in Texas because you have Chris Beard there now. I mean, this was a team who you looked at them roster-wise last year. To me, they were a top-five talent in college basketball, but they didn't always play together like that whether it was a Shaka Smart thing or something else. I mean, but you had, like, Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, those are two senior guards who were really good players, right? You had Andrew Jones, who was all Big 12, one of the teams, and he was another guard. Guard play usually wins, but they also had the big men. Jericho Sims was a second-round draft pick, one of the best defensive centers in the country. Greg Brown, NBA draft pick. Kai Jones. First-round draft pick. I mean, that team was ultra-talented. They got a three-seed, but unable to move past the first round. That was incredible. It is crazy to me, though, that as great as Chris Beard has been at Texas Tech, they've never got higher than a three-seed. Maybe that's in store for this Texas team. They have all sorts of talent. Marcus Carr could end up being the best player in the conference. It's interesting to me that maybe the two favorites for that award are Marcus Carr and Remy Martin, who are two point guards who got brought in as grad transfers from other schools outside of the conference, and now both could end up being the best players in the league on two really good teams. So Texas, I think, is going to have a really good season between the Chris Beard factor, between having a lot of talent. It might take some time for them with so many new players, and it's always interesting with that many new players, can they fit well into Chris Beard's defensive scheme? But that's not a team that I'm thinking come March you're going to be wanting to play. Uh, Baylor was picked third, which is always interesting when you have a team who won the national title the year before, won the conference with only one loss the year before, who gets picked third this year. And, I mean, I I see some people who – I'm honestly a little surprised they didn't get at least one first-place vote because you would have thought maybe one of the 10 coaches would have thought like this. You see people say, well, 
they are until they aren't. Like, if, if they win the title the year before, we're just going to make them number one. I don't have a problem if you, if you view it that way, but the point is to rank teams for 2022, not based on what you did last year. So I get why they would be three, but you don't see that too often. They're still going to be really good, though. Matthew Meyer and A.J. Flagler are going to score like 35 a game combined. Those two are going to be scoring studs. And they get Kendall Brown, who's a kid Kansas really wanted on a wing, is five-star recruit. They've got some good big men that they can throw in there. Baylor's going to be really good this year. It's just what they were last year was an absolute juggernaut. So it's, it's hard to see them living up to what they were last season, even though you know they'll probably be a team who is in the top 10, top 15 throughout the year, can make it to the Sweet 16 or something, have a good season. Outside of that, like I, I think if you tiered the Big 12, like Tier 1, maybe if you want, you could argue that Kansas or Texas are in that top tier and then Baylor's next. I would probably argue that Kansas, Texas, and Baylor are all in a tier together, even if you know Kansas is going to be ranked in the preseason higher than Texas and Baylor. I don't think it's like that much of a difference. After that, it gets really tricky in the Big 12. I think there's that top tier, there's a middle tier, and then there's a bottom tier in the conference. It's really three tiers I look at. And the bottom tier, I mean, Iowa State was horrendous a season ago. They're pretty clearly the last place. I mean, they got nine uh, votes, which I don't know how that's even possible. I thought that, I don't know. Well, I guess you can't vote for yourself. So Iowa State was voted last by everyone. Um I don't know. Maybe Iowa State should be in a fourth tier all to themselves, but I, I think TCU and Kansas State would probably be, okay, well, yeah, we'll call Iowa State the fourth tier because that was really bad a season ago. And then the third tier will be right next to Iowa State. TCU and Kansas State, two teams you're not expecting to make it to the NCAA tournament this year, but they've got some good players. They had a young roster last year. They're feisty, right? They could get you on any given night, especially in their building, but Overall, you're not expecting either one to make a ton of noise. And then that tier two is the biggest tier. Teams four through seven, it could really be in any order. I mean, they the, the coaches predicted Texas Tech at fourth. Oklahoma State, West Virginia got the same votes in fifth. I was surprised how far Oklahoma was down from the other ones because Texas Tech had 51 points of votes. Oklahoma State and West Virginia at 49, so all right within each other. Oklahoma's down at 29, but I don't. I don't view it as that big of separation. Like Oklahoma, this has them closer to TCU and Kansas State than West Virginia. I get it. Like Oklahoma loses Brady Manick, and um, I think Austin Reeves went pro as well. They were just such a feisty defensive team last year, and outside of those two guys, they bring back a good amount to the team, and they add the two Groves brothers from Eastern Washington, which that is a step up in competition. And they're not going to be as good as they were necessarily against Kansas in the NCAA tournament game. I don't think they're going to be able to bottle up that one game into every game. But with Porter Mosier in there and a team that already value defense, well, I kind of view this team as being just as feisty as those four through seven teams. And Texas Tech, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like without Chris Beard. Certainly, they still have good players. Terrence Shannon stuck, uh, stuck around, and he could end up being one of the best players in the conference. Oklahoma State, they were really good in the games that Cade Cunningham wasn't there. Who knows what they look like this year. And then West Virginia, that's a big loss losing Miles McBride. You lose Oscar Shibway to the transfer portal. I, I don't know what West Virginia is going to look like. But really, all that four through seven range you view as being teams who are going to creep up into the top 25 at different points throughout the season, probably all NCAA tournament teams, 
all teams who are going to be tough to beat. And if you get wins, they're going to be good wins, quad one or quad two wins. So the Big 12, it's just kind of per usual. You're going to have three really good teams at the top. You're going to have a lot of depth throughout. And then there's really just Iowa State kind of at the uh, basement so far this year. And that is the Big 12 Media Preseason Coaches Poll. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Chris Level talks Texas Tech football with us in about 25 minutes. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. Later on in the show, we've got some Andy Kotelnicki audio to get you the KU offensive coordinator and... We've got Brian Borland Audio, the KU defensive coordinator. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Also, Chris Plank is going to join us uh, in a little bit here. Uh, Chris covers Texas Tech for Tech Talk, and he's the sideline reporter for the football team on the radio broadcast. So we'll get an inside look of Texas Tech a little bit more as KU's next opponent with Chris Plank. The offense has shown some encouraging signs of late. Um, you know, it, it's not as much about the scoreboard for this team, so you can view the seven points against Iowa State and just say that, yeah, that was just a, a pure disaster um, for KU. But I don't really view it that way. You were playing an Iowa State defense who is one of the better defenses in the entire country, and you found certain successes, like the passing game never really got going for KU, but the rushing game comparatively to the defense you were playing was okay. And I know that doesn't sound like a compliment, but from where KU had been and where KU is, that's enough. Like, I, I always say this in the offseason, there are 40-something bowl games. Let's just say there's 40 bowl games, right? So there's 130 teams in the country. That means 80 of the 130 teams are making it to the bowl game. So if the goal right now for KU is to get to a point where they're making a bowl game, be top 80, right? Be top 80 at everything. You don't need to be number 50, number 25. You don't need to be the best. Be top 80, right? Because that, in theory, could be enough. And I get it. It's not exactly a science where you say, well, each of the top 80 teams make it because you can be the 60th best team, but if you're the ninth best in your conference, you're, you're kind of screwed. But it's just the general sentiment of that, right? So being average, being okay, and not that, you know, Lance Leipold and the coaches have to just, let's just be average today, you know? Let's just be, let's be 75th best in the country. That's all we need. That's, that's not what they're saying. And that's not the goal. But that's kind of the bare minimum of what you're looking for. And that game against Iowa State, that was top 80 enough good considering the opponent. Again, you give up under 70 yards rushing, under two yards per carry to Iowa. That's what Iowa State did. And Iowa is a, the number two team in the country who they don't have a very good offense, but what they do offensively relies on the running game. And you held them in check. Iowa State's held really everybody in check rushing-wise. You were able to at least have some success on the ground. You know, it wasn't a dominant performance, but... Again, you were okay. And when you back that up with the game you had against Duke, where you were good rushing the football, you were good on offense, I think that has to give you a lot of confidence offensively, at least running the football where they're going. 
Doesn't mean that they're going to get better each and every game. You might have a setback game here or there. But overall, the offensive line, the rushing game, seem to have shown hints and signs over these last two games that they are progressing, that it is working. And now coming off a bye week, I think you expect to see another jump against a Texas Tech team who has at times allowed big games on the ground. Maybe this can be a big game for Devin Neal. Obviously, one of the components of that rushing game is the offensive line, the blocking ability. Bryce Cabledu, youngster on the offensive line for KU, had a chance to catch up with him yesterday at KU Football Media Availability. What would you say has been the biggest improvement for the offensive line from from week one to where you guys are at now? I think we're playing a lot more aggressive. We, uh, we're definitely just coming together to create this stronger brotherhood that we got. Did you feel like in the Iowa State game, I know the game didn't go the way you wanted to, but did it feel like there were certain times when the, the wide zone scheme, when things were clicking as far as an offensive line in that game? Yeah, like, so really, we just have to just keep building on what we, on what we know. Uh, obviously, like the game, like you said, the game didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, but we just got to keep pushing and keep working, and eventually, or inevitably, we're going we're gonna to be better. Yeah, I guess the reason I ask, Iowa State's had such a good defense and running defense this year. So um, are you noticing, like, the numbers of when you guys go watch film week to week, are the numbers of, of mistakes or, or times where, you know, maybe somebody didn't do something exactly right to what the scheme is, is that going down as the season's gone on? Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. Uh, mental errors are definitely going down right now just because, uh, I mean, we – we didn't even have a spring ball with this type with this offense. Now that we're uh, coming in, and the first time we actually ran this offense was fall camps. So now that we're coming in and we're learning it a whole lot better, we're able to minimize all the misassignments and just become a better football team. So, what was the biggest focus for the offensive line group uh, during the bye week? It was really just to get. First of all, it was to get healthy. We you know we have a player out right now. And he's a big. He has a big role in our offensive line, and uh, to. Really, to, to prefer, prepare for Texas Tech, and to be able so we could uh, get a, uh, our first conference win, hopefully, and so and be able to protect the quarterback and uh, get good, good running lanes for the running back. What's going to be the biggest challenge? Like, what do the Red Raiders do well that's going to make it tough for the offensive line? No, they have really good uh, movement in it. They, they they play a lot of games, and so just being able to like go get off the ball and run downhill at them, then we should be able to get some good stuff going. What was the message in the locker room from the coaches, from players and stuff, after the Iowa State loss and, and coming through these next couple of weeks? You know, it's just get better. we, we got to take it one play at a time. Uh, that game is over. We need to forget about it and just keep moving on so we can go and we can uh, start running back. So that was Bryce Cable do. They'll look for continued success in the running game this week and a good opportunity to do so against Texas Tech. Uh, now, all that progression that I mentioned with the running game he had a little bit of a setback with you know, the passing game. Jason Bean had a tough game against Iowa State. But again, it's a really good Iowa State defense. And I don't think that's a, I don't know, like a negative sign or anything like that. Like you're just going to have tough games sometimes, especially when you're playing a better opponent, when you're playing a really good defensive opponent. But, you know, you look at some of the games that he's put together and it has been really impressive. The Duke game. Those for over 300 yards in that game, rushes for over 50. I know he had the two interceptions. One of them was a really bad play. The other one was just trying to make something happen at the end of a game. Um, the Baylor game, you struggle. But then the game before that against Coastal Carolina, you had that awesome rushing game. You hit some big plays in the passing game. And then against South Dakota, you have a game where 
you know, overall statistically it looks good. You led the the late drive in the fourth quarter to lead the team to win. So it's been a little inconsistent ups and downs, but you've seen enough of the ups and the downs haven't been nearly as bad as some of the downs of KU football play in recent memory that it's it's just not really a talking point this year, the quarterback position, which is maybe the biggest compliment that I could give Jason Bean or, or give this position. And the reason why I say that is, is think about it every single year, maybe the exception of Carter Stanley in 2019. But even then in 2019, there were a few times where like we were having real questions over, is he going to continue to be the starting quarterback? And those were real conversations. Like after the Coastal Carolina game that you lose, you only score seven points. You don't score after the first drive again. Carter Stanley has the bad interception. It was talked about a little. And the Boston College game on miles to go, there was like a clip of, I think KU maybe throws an interception early in the game and, you know, we'll give him one more drive. But if he doesn't succeed, then maybe he gets benched at that point. So there were even conversations then. But right now, it's not even a conversation with KU football, at least in my opinion. Like, I haven't really heard or seen many people say it. I'm sure there's some people who are always angry about everything and, you know, everything is a benching for anybody. But I don't mean that subsect. But um, just in general, like... It just hasn't been a conversation and hasn't needed to be because you're getting, even though it might be a little inconsistent, even though there are times when it's been up and down, you're getting better QB performance than you had at any point last year and that you had at any point maybe pre-Carter Stanley in 2019 since probably Michael Cummings and then before that since maybe stretches of Jordan Webb, before that Todd Reesing. So it's not really a conversation because it's not even – near the top of the lists of things that need to be figured out for this team. So that's that's really good and exciting because it's not just that Jason Bean is giving you something from quarterback play this year, which you haven't always had in the past, but it's also the fact that you could potentially have two more years of Jason Bean. He's listed as a junior, but that doesn't count his extra year with COVID. So you could have this year, you could have next year, you could have the year after that. And how nice would that be to head into an offseason for once where you wouldn't actually have to have these questions about who the quarterback is, and that wouldn't be the storyline, which for one would be really weird. I, I, I never experienced that, so I uh, don't know what it'll be like, uh, but also I'm sure it'll be very pleasing and exciting and nice to actually know that moving forward. And so far, I don't think you've had any questions that, Jason Bean can't be the guy moving forward and, and won't be the guy. And I'm expecting a big game for him against a team from his home state. Actually got a chance to catch up with Jason Bean yesterday at KU Football Media Availability. Here is that conversation. What's the biggest uh, thing that you're worried about with Texas Tech defensively? Anything that sticks out to you kind of on the scouting board with the Red Raiders this week? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, they're a very um, athletic defense. Um, you know, I think they, they get around a pretty, pretty good um, uh, I think their, you know, their front seven is pretty good. You know, they move around and you know they get penetration in the backfield. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great, uh, great weekend this weekend. You know, a good challenge for us offensively, and uh, I think as a whole team, you know, this is a pretty good school we're going up against. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm excited. For you specifically in the quarterback room, what was the biggest thing that you guys worked on during the bye week? I think just situational stuff. You know, trying to, trying to, um, you know. Notice when I need to throw the ball downfield or, or when I just need to keep it in my hands and, and go get the couple yards. Um, I think that's been the main thing for me. And then I was also just trying to take care of the ball, uh, you know, going up against our defense and, 
in, in those situations, trying to make sure I keep keep the ball in my hands and, and not give it to the defense on you know stupid stuff. Are you feeling a lot more comfortable from where you were in week one or week one of fall camp to where you are now with the playbook and everything now? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, obviously with the playbook, but I think also with the, the offensive line, you know, just gaining their trust, you know, throughout the season. And, you know, obviously they've gotten better each week. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that group and, and the steps that they're taking forward. Yeah, it seems like the last couple of weeks especially, um, I think, I heard John Kirby saying just one sack over the last couple weeks for you guys. So has that been pretty noticeable with the offensive line has, has improved over the course of the year? Uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm very excited for that group and, you know, the, the strides that they're taking. And uh, I think, you know, that just comes with, you know, the film that I sit down and watch with them throughout the week. And I'm just trying to, you know, get on the same page as them every week and, and you know, make sure that I know what they're calling and, and they know why I'm checking stuff and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think, like I said with earlier, you know, just gaining trust in those guys and those guys gaining trust in me. After the Iowa State game, what was kind of the message in the locker room from, from you guys as players and coaches, and how has that kind of carried on into the bye week and now this week? Yeah, I, I, I just tried to tell everybody, you know, don't hang your head. You know, one, one week is not going to define this team and, and, and how the rest of the season goes. And uh, I think, you know, obviously saying that to myself too. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest game for myself, you know, just trying to keep my head up so the other guys don't see me with my head down, um, you know, I think was the biggest thing. So, Was that Iowa State defense? Was that one of the toughest defenses you've ever had to go up against? Yeah, yeah, it was, definitely. Yeah. All right, thanks, Jason. Yes, sir. And that Texas Tech defense, not as strong as the Iowa State one. They've had games where they've looked good, so I don't want to make it sound like they have a bad defense, but they're giving up like 34 points per game, right? And they've had some games where... A lot of that is due to the 70 against Texas, the over 50 against TCU. They've shown times where they have given up big totals, and you're looking for that from the offense because with the defense struggling so much this year, like what's what's the least amount of points you think Kansas can win with offensively? right? If the defense has a good day against a good offense, which Tech has, what does that mean, 30, 40 points? So realistically, for KU to win a game against Texas Tech, they're going to have to score high 30s, maybe 40s, maybe 50 to win this game. So a lot of pressures on the offense, but I think there is at least an avenue there for them to do well. I'm curious if that motivates Jason Bean as well. I should have asked him about this. I was looking at his recruiting profile. Obviously, he's from Texas, um, Mansfield, I believe. It doesn't look like he got offered ever by Texas Tech. And he obviously went to North Texas. I think he had offers from like SMU and some other schools, but never got offered by Texas Tech. And I wonder if that motivates him when he plays other schools from Texas that he never got offered by them, especially a school like Texas Tech, who, you know, this isn't a top 25 consistent program that we think of like a TCU or a Texas or, or some of these other schools. Maybe it does motivate him. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But you'll take anything you can that can add to your possibilities of being competitive or winning a football game. KU getting 16 and a half points. The over-under is 68. I think I would definitely go the over right now. I feel confident enough in that KU offense, Jason Bean. At the very least, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, mid to high 20s in the game. You put up 24, 28 points. And then from there, if you put up 28, can the defense hold them under 40? Uh, Giving up over 50 a game in FBS games. You're giving up 43 a game in total per games. And this is a good offense, averaging 34, 35 a game. So definitely going with the over. We'll have the pick for the 16 and a half tomorrow 
on RCST. All right, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, Chris Plank talks Texas Tech. He is the football sideline reporter for the Red Raiders. We get a uh, sneak peek of KU's opponent on Saturday on the other side. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Joined now by Chris Level of Tech Talk on Double T 97.3 in Lubbock, sideline reporter for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Coming up this week for Texas Tech taking on KU on homecoming this Saturday at 3 o'clock. So, Chris, is this just, from the outside looking in, the the classic, uh, what people think about Texas Tech, the team with the explosive offense that's kind of struggling right now in defense? Is that an accurate assessment of where this team's at right now? <laughs> I, I don't know where this team's at, uh, if I'm being honest, and I'm, I'm pretty close to it. Uh, I don't know. I think that's kind of frustrating is that you're not real sure because their defense was really good in, in Morgantown. Their defense was really good against a, a team – in Houston, uh, early on in the season, that hasn't lost since. Uh, but in, in Austin, and then uh, this past weekend, I, I tell you, I tell you this: the, this defense is not very good against really good running backs. I think that that's we we can say that. I, I wouldn't even say that their offense is explosive. It's, it, I think it, they're running the ball. I mean, they're they're running the ball. I think what sixteen rushing touchdowns, just to nine. Uh, passing uh, so far this season, so I, I think you're still trying to figure out who you are if you're if you're Texas Tech, and you know there's been some injuries. Obviously, they have a different starting quarterback now because of injury, so it's just been inconsistent, and that's the frustrating thing is you can't you can't figure out a way to stack success, and so this is the week where they're going to try to bounce back and get right, you know, and then try to figure out a way to build on that, but they've been unable to do that to this point. It's a four and two on the year. I mean, how would you describe uh, kind of the the tribes and tribulations or, or the path to this point so far for Texas Tech from the start of the year to where they are now? Yeah, I mean they're they're four and two, and I and I think that you know the, the record is a I don't know it's somewhat not not a ton to sink your teeth into. I think you felt really good about that West Virginia win, but but then they. You know, they they show up to, to Waco last weekend and just get the, their doors blown off. I, I do think that Houston win, as I mentioned, is a, is a good one. Uh, but it, it's and it's not the fact that you've lost the two games. I mean, nobody, you know, people had TCU challenging for the conference championship this year, and uh, obviously playing in Austin is never easy. But it's how you've lost those games. You just you were out of those games really early on, and that's been the frustrating part is that they just you, you just get run over. Uh, you know, and, and the run games have just kind of consumed you, and it's just, that's been the frustrating part. It's it's not about the losses; it's how you've lost that you just kind of been somewhat uncompetitive. Well, how how frustrating has it been the last couple of years, specifically in this series when KU won that game off that uh, weird lateral play on the blocked field goal, and then they get another try, and then last year KU was actually their most competitive game of the season. They only lose by three. How, how frustrating has that specifically been from a Texas Tech perspective, just playing Kansas? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, I, I think that definitely two years ago was uh, was like, yeah, I don't know what Douglas Coleman, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing at that point. I think uh, nobody's really gotten a good answer, but, you know, that's the beauty of uh, college football and, Trying to to watch uh, eighteen to twenty two year old kids, you're not real sure exactly what they're going to do on a uh, not, not much less a week to week basis, but a minute to minute basis. And he just he made a mistake, and 
Um, you know, and then, and then last year, that is just a bizarre game that I, you know, I know Texas, Texas Tech was just trying to get to the finish line. The head coach wasn't there because of COVID. Uh, there was a couple of position coaches out, some injuries. It's just an ugly game. Not many people there, obviously, because of the COVID protocol stuff and nothing on the line. It was just a, it, it was an ugly day. Uh, and, you know, you turn it over four times. It just, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, and, and so with all that, I would expect Kansas to be very confident, you know, playing uh, on Saturday. You know, uh, this is a team that they've played well against in the last two years, uh, being Texas Tech. So, I mean, I think that Texas Tech's expecting a a confident uh, Kansas team. And so, yeah, it should be – and this could be another close one. We'll see. Talking with Chris Level here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, you mentioned having those games against TCU and Texas Tech that – you give up the big point total, 70 to Texas, over 50 to TCU. Is there something specifically that has, has plagued uh, Texas Tech, the, the defense in the games where it has gone south, uh, some specific area that hasn't worked out in those specific games? Yes, yeah, the run defense. I mean, I think, it, to, to simplify it, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's been the issue. It's just because uh, I, I think uh, in, in – the, the early part of Matt's tenure here, Keith Patterson's tenure, the, the defensive coordinator, they got beat over the top quite a bit. And I think they've really tried to, you know, uh, get that fixed. But with that, now they're, they're you know, in some of these games when it doesn't go well, it's because they're getting beat up front, you know, whether they're too much focus on the back end and trying not to give up something over the top, you, you're, you know, you're, you're giving up some things up, uh, up front. And when you're playing the, the B. John Robinsons and the Zach Evanses of the world, Ed, that's, if you don't have enough people around that ball carrier, it's going to be a problem. And they, uh, they burn you quite a bit. And so I, I think that just to be specific, it's been the run defense for sure. That that's really what has, has ailed you. And then you try to correct it. And then here come the, uh, you know the the play action shots and things like that, which is that's what everybody in this league is doing. Kansas is going to do the same thing. I mean, you run, 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 and you take the deep shot down the field. Texas Tech does the same thing. It's just it's just kind of fascinating how the league has kind of changed in that this is not a group of quarterbacks in this league that are a bunch of household names that have played a bunch of good football. Nobody's throwing for 400 yards, but everybody knows who the running backs are. And, and and everybody's you know using the run to set up these these deep shots down the field, and that's just kind of what, what what's in vogue right now. It's just kind of interesting how the, the league has changed a bit. Yeah, it seems a lot more defensive than in years past too. Um, but I guess that West Virginia game, you hold the Mountaineers to under a hundred yards. So I guess that just is the recipe for success. It's just can they stop the run? I think that'll be really interesting because Kansas has been a team who early in the season was really struggling with the the wide zone scheme that they're bringing in and uh, the offensive line was struggling to get any separation. Uh, then you lose Velton Gardner to transfer the last couple of weeks, though. They've started to figure out a little bit more. They had their best game against Duke, against Iowa State, who gave up under 70 yards to a run-first Iowa team. You had uh, not a great game, but over 150 yards rushing there as well. So I, I guess that's going to be the key to the game and, and how you're describing it and how things go in this one. Uh, but on the other side of the ball for Texas Tech, offensively, how how have things been different since the Tyler Shug injury uh, for the offense? 
Yeah, and that's uh, I think you're going on nine seasons in a row where you have had your starting quarterback miss multiple games uh, in a season, which is just a tough way to win. Uh, you know, whether you're cursed or whether you're, it's just bad luck, I don't know, but it's it's tough to to deal with that you know the 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 psychology of that it's just uh, there's a lot of oh, here we go again type because Matt Wells hasn't he hasn't had the same starting quarterback yet since he's been here in his third season it's just been bizarre but you know Henry's a He's one of the most experienced guys in the country, probably as a backup quarterback. He started a bunch of games last year. He started some games at Utah State when he played for Matt there and then transferred here. He's an older kid. Uh, he doesn't get rattled. It doesn't look sexy at times, but he throws a good deep ball. He can you know, extend the play. I don't think he gave Tyler Shuck the uh, the job in the offseason. I think he he was right there. I just think they like Tyler's uh, upside uh, a bit more. He's a bit bigger and probably throws uh, got a bit of a stronger arm. Uh, but Henry's play, he's played well. I mean, it, it uh, you know, and I, and I think if you're Texas Tech though, you, you're you'll it'll be Eric Izukama, you know, on the outside. And then Sir Roderick Thompson is, is rounded back into form. He's got five touchdowns in the last two weeks, and he's somebody that, you know, they're going to let him uh, carry it quite a bit on Saturday and see what Kansas can do with it. He is Chris Level. You can hear him in Lubbock down on Double T 97.3 on Tech Talk, and he's the sideline reporter for this weekend with Texas Tech taking on Kansas for uh, the Red Raiders side of things on the radio. Chris, thank you so much for the time, man. And uh, let me know if you need any pointers, places to go this weekend. All right. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right. That was Chris Level helping us uh, preview the Texas Tech Red Raiders here on Rock Jock Sports Talk. Yeah, really interesting when you hear him talk about these struggles against the running game. So if Kansas can have continued improvement there, especially off the bye week, Maybe that is the recipe for success in this weekend's game. Here we go again. I'm talking myself into them being competitive. We'll have our game picks tomorrow to officially clamp down whether we're going with Kansas. Last I saw, plus 16.5 points. I think I saw one projection system had it like 58 to 37, which that would be pretty incredible. All right, this is uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. couple of uh, good sporting events to watch tonight. Thursday night football, which features Tampa Bay at Philadelphia. Tampa's only a seven-point favorite, which I thought it would be more. But then again, the Eagles did beat Carolina last week on the road. Maybe the Eagles aren't that bad. Maybe they're closer to being like a 6-11, 7-10 team, which isn't the worst team in the world. They're at least feisty. I'd be all about that Tampa Bay minus seven. Eagles off that win, riding off a high. Tampa Bay is really good. So actually, kind of an interesting Thursday night football game, though, as opposed to, you know, some of the clunkers you have throughout the season. Also, game five of the NLDS tonight. Only had one series go to game five in the DS round for the MLB playoffs. Astros and Red Sox kick off the ALCS tomorrow. They'll kick off the NLCS, I believe, on Saturday after a day off in between for this. And you feature the Giants and the Dodgers a historic rivalry, first time they've met in the playoffs. Of course, it had to go Game 5. It's the two best records in the MLB, but if you include the postseason records, the Dodgers have the wild card win. The two teams have the exact same amount of wins. It's incredible 
how close this has been all year long, and now it just all comes down to one game, which is always scary for any team, any fan in the MLB. Uh, I mentioned how the Chiefs, there might be a blueprint out there for being a bad defense but still making or winning a Super Bowl. At least that's the hope for the Chiefs because at this point, there's only so much you can hope for with the defense. It is fair to hope that the defense can at least become not the worst in the league. It is fair to expect or hope for the defense to become not one of the worst of all time because that's what they are right now. Right now, they're giving up more yards per play than the greatest offense in NFL history average yards per play. The 2,000 Rams averaged seven yards per play. That was number one of all time. The Chiefs defense has given up 7.1 yards per play. That is basically meaning every offense the Chiefs are going up against becomes the greatest offense in NFL history. That's a problem. I mean, this was a defense, though, that ranked in certain categories around 10th to middle of the pack to the 20 range in a lot of different areas over the past couple of seasons. And it's a lot of the same players. Now, it is older, so it would make it worse, but you do have certain areas where you did bring in highly drafted players. At this point, it's not likely to get there, but if you can at least reach within... Can it get better than it is now? You're giving up 32.5 points per game. That's last in the NFL. You're allowing 437 yards per game. That's 31st in the NFL. You're last in yards allowed per play, which also is almost a yard worse than the worst team last year, a Jaguars team that went 1-15. The one category that's not the worst in the NFL for the Chiefs still isn't a good category. They're still in the bottom third of the NFL is turnovers forced, where they're 22nd. So where's the bar the Chiefs need to get to? How much do they need to improve this defense? Because it's no question they do need to improve the defense to have a chance at doing some damage to make the playoffs, to do damage in the playoffs, to try to get back to another Super Bowl. I mean, that seems so distant right now with how they've started. Now you just got shellacked by Buffalo. But that still is the goal for this team. What's the bar you have to get to for that to be back in question? Well, if we go by points allowed per game, the worst defense is to make it into the Super Bowl. You have the 2008 Arizona Cardinals and the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. The Cardinals were a team who barely made the playoffs, 9-7 and seven that year. Actually got the 5 seed. The 6 seed was also, I think the 6 seed was 9-7 uh, and seven as well, and that was actually an Eagles team coached by Andy Reid. They actually played each other in the championship games. So the Cardinals at 9-7 and seven got to host an NFC championship game, but that team was just 28th in points allowed per game. 2016 Falcons, the team that probably should have won the Super Bowl, were 27th in points allowed per game. Maybe if the defense was better, they definitely win the Super Bowl. Both those teams lost the Super Bowl, obviously, in crazy games. If you're looking for the best team to win the Super Bowl, who had the worst defense, uh, 2011 New York Giants were 25th in points allowed per game. And I think you can draw a little bit of similarities with that team to this one. Now, Steve Spagnuolo wasn't the, the defensive coordinator for that one. He was on the 2007 Giants. 2011, he wasn't by then. But you had some 
personnel of guys who were on the 07 team. And it was a Giants team, if you remember, even though the 2011 team didn't have Michael Strahan like the 2007 one did. 2011 team had some guys on the defensive line like OCU Manura and Justin Tuck to where you felt like there was some potential there. They weren't like superstars, but they were good defensive linemen, but they just weren't living it up, up to it that year. That is kind of similar to the Chiefs with Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark and company. But they found their way in the postseason. 2006 Indianapolis Colts, you can find some similarities there as well, right? You have this high-powered offense with Peyton Manning and all his great weapons on the outside. Defense really struggled all season long, but they picked it up in the postseason. That team ended up 23rd in points allowed per game. So there's a couple bars here. I mean, first of all is that the Cardinals and the Falcons both proved you can have bottom five or six defenses in the NFL, just don't have the worst. Don't have one of the three worst or so. That's the bar the Chiefs need to get to. Can you improve just a little bit more? To win the Super Bowl, it pretty much comes down to you have to be you can still be like a bottom quarter of the league defense, but that would still be a jump for the Chiefs. And then on top of that, you need to play above that in the postseason, which I don't know if you can count on. But at the very least, that's the bar. Can you get to that bad, right? Where you're bad, but you're not terrible, which you are now. But that actually has a, a list of more bad defenses than you would think. Also, the 2013 Broncos made the Super Bowl, then got pasted. They were 22nd. In the NFL in points allowed per game. Okay, how about by yards allowed per game? Chiefs are 31st. Well, actually, the 2011 Patriots, you would never have thought this with Bill Belichick and the Patriots. 2011 Patriots were 31st in yards allowed per game that year. Made it to the Super Bowl. Ended up losing that close game to the Giants. 2017 Patriots, too. They were 29th in yards allowed per game. And ended up coming back to haunt them in that Super Bowl where they give up a huge offensive game to Nick Foles and the Eagles. They were 29th. They made the Super Bowl. So the Chiefs actually, by yards allowed per game, they can get there right now. They just need to improve on their points. And that was a big difference between the 2011 and 2017 Patriots. Even though they gave up a bunch of yards, they at least held you in the red zone. And that's a problem. The Chiefs are not only giving up a ton of yards. They're not holding you in the red zone either. If you're going to be a bad defense, at least do something well. That's kind of the the point here that 2011 Giants team again 27th in yards allowed per game you know what they did well though they forced turnovers they were fifth in the NFL in turnovers forced same with that 2008 Cardinals team fifth in turnovers forced the 2011 Patriots team third in turnovers forced 27 17 Patriots team solid at stopping you in the red zone you have a couple others in in by yards per game 1993 and 1991 Bills were 27th well guess what one of those teams was first in turnovers forced. The other was seventh. Both had really good offenses. 2009 Saints, great offense. They were just 25th in the NFL in yards allowed per game. They won the Super Bowl, though, but they were second in turnovers forced. 2016 Falcons, they were 25th in yards allowed per game. They had a really good offense. They could hold you in the red zone a little bit better than what the Chiefs are doing right now. Maybe those are the best ways for improvement because right now you look at this team and you see them play. And it's hard to say that, oh, well, when Willie Gay is fully back or when X players get healthy, first of all, it's never fully healthy in the NFL. Second of all, even if you do have 
you know, slight improvement in certain areas, how much is that really going to help? Right? Like if you made a trade for a starting level corner or linebacker, maybe that moves you up from the 32nd to the 30th best defense. Is that enough? Probably not on its own, but if you can have internal improvement that more so helps you figure out a couple facets of the game. The pass rush would be the best thing, but that just goes into the overall, and I don't think you can really expect that right now. Can you at least just convert to being a good red zone defense the rest of the way? Maybe not even good. League average red zone defense the rest of the way. If you do that, and you can become a league average turnover defense, you do those two things, all of a sudden you're going to see those, uh, some of those numbers be a little bit better. And again, just get to 25th. Just be the 25th best defense. Be the 24th best defense in the NFL. If you do those small things to improve that, you might get there. You just have to have and, and figure out another way if you're going to be so bad in yards allowed per game to keep the points off the board, to stop them in the red zone, to get more turnovers, to stop them on more third downs. And maybe the the turnovers is the big one. Because like I said, I've mentioned that with a couple of these teams where bad defense is overall, but they forced a lot of turnovers. Chiefs are 22nd in the NFL in forcing turnovers. The problem is, and I've said this with KU football, to force turnovers, you got to be chaotic, right? I mean, it's not always that, but the best opportunities to force turnovers are from a pass rush. If you put pressure on a quarterback, he gets uncomfortable, he forces a pass too early. Or you hit him, and he throws the ball wide of where the intended pass was supposed to go. Those can lead to easier interceptions. You have tight coverage. All of a sudden, now it's going to create more deflected balls that go up in the air and are easier to intercept. If you have tight coverage, you're just going to be around for if a throw is a little bit off, then maybe you can intercept it. So... I don't know how improvable that is because how many times have we seen guys just running wide open and we've not seen the pass rush? But that's the avenue for quote-unquote success for this defense. It's never at this point going to be a league average or top 10 defense in the NFL. Can you at least improve to those mark of those other Super Bowl winning teams like the Giants who are 25th in points allowed per game? And to get there, you probably got to improve your turnovers. You probably got to, well, definitely have to start stopping teams more often in the red zone. We'll see if that's even doable for this team. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU taking on Texas Tech on Saturday at 3 o'clock. You know, the Jayhawks defense has really struggled all season long outside of the South Dakota game. The Texas Tech game last year, you were able to do some things well defensively. You ended up only giving up 16 points. Now, Tech had over 400 yards of offense, had almost 300 rushing yards, which that's not great. You give up 6.8 yards per carry. That's going to have to improve for KU to win this game. But you were opportunistic. You held Texas Tech to 3 of 15 on third downs. You had a plus 4 turnover margin. You were plus 3 in fumbles. You can't really expect that to happen, so... 
I'm expecting Tech to score a lot more points, and this Kansas defense has been worse than last year's against FBS opponents, which is hard to say because you gave up 46 points per game to to all FBS opponents last year, and you're giving up over 50 to FBS opponents this year. Uh, maybe there will be vast improvement over the course of the bye week. You did get a little lucky in that sense, though, of how poorly they did on third down and the fumbles that you recovered, but that's kind of the margin KU's at. You have to be opportunistic in ways that you stop them on third downs, and you have to be able to force turnovers. And maybe it's not four like you did that game. I think the Kansas offense is a lot better than it was last year to where maybe you don't need that much margin from the opposing team to hang in it and, and have a chance to win the game. So instead of being plus four, maybe you got to be plus two to win with this offense. I think that's possible. Um, Texas Tech has been kind of inconsistent so far this season. But the KU defense is going to have their hands full because – it's not just that Kansas defensively has struggled so far this season, as I just mentioned, giving up over 50 points per game to FBS opponents. It's that Texas Tech's offense has been good so far this year. They're averaging 35 points per game. Uh, Henry Columbia, who took over for Tyler Shug after he's been injured, and Columbia played in his career before, he's been solid nine and a half yards per attempt. So far, about 65% completion percentage. He's just you just throw in the Texas Tech quarterback, and he does well. They have a good running game. They actually have ran it the same amount of times that they've thrown it, so they're a very balanced offense. They don't have like one running back who sticks out in terms of total yards or anything. I mean, Sir Roderick Thompson is their leading running back, and if you just double up that they've played six games, he'd be on pace to have under 500 rushing yards this year. But the thing is, they have three running backs – over 200 rushing yards, and Sir Roger Thompson actually leads them in carries by yards. It's Taj Brooks, who's at 284, and then you have White at 206, Thompson at 231. They each have a couple touchdowns or more so far this season. They just balance out the rushing game, but at the end of the day, you're basically getting the production out of all three of them where they have over 700 yards as a trio. And that would turn into a 1,400-yard back over the course of a 12-game season. So they do have a good running game. Uh, that'll be the problem for KU to solve after giving up basically seven yards of carry last year. Can you stop the run against them, force them into passing situations, allow yourself to get some pressure on the quarterback, and just be different than you have in the, in these past games when you have really struggled in giving up all these big point totals? I will say, though, just looking through Texas Tech, like they haven't been the most consistent team. They only scored 28 points against Stephen F. Austin. Then you have 54 the next week against Florida International. And you have 35 and 31 against Big 12 defenses in Texas and TCU. But, you know, TCU hasn't had a typical TCU defense so far. Texas, we know their defense has struggled a little bit. You score only 23 against West Virginia. I don't know. They're kind of tough to figure out, I guess. But I guess that's kind of where we're at with this KU defense to where you're hoping that you get some inconsistent play from the other team and you hope that maybe you get a little fortunate with some turnover luck. I mean, turnovers, it's it's a little of both, right? Like there's certain things that turnover luck. Like if somebody fumbles the ball... It's about a 50-50 proposition whether you're going to get it or not. So it's kind of luck in terms of 
you getting it. Sometimes a receiver will drop a pass that gets popped in the air, and you get lucky with an interception. Sometimes it's just, I don't know, uh, you being in good position where you create the turnover or you getting pressure on the quarterback and, and a strip sack. That So it's a combination of skill and luck. So on one hand, you know, you're a little behind the eight ball on maybe causing pressure or creating chaos that's going to lead to more of those turnovers. But if you can hope that Texas Tech is one of those inconsistent down games and you can hope that Texas Tech has a bad turnover game, that's kind of just where we're at with Kansas, though. You know, I mentioned last week, like, when's the last time KU won a Big 12 game that wasn't that didn't involve some sort of fluky thing, right? You have the Texas win in overtime where it took them having six turnovers. You have the TCU win where they had the butt fumble, where they're running back inside the in a goal-to-go situation, runs into the back of his offensive lineman, fumbles the ball, and KU recovers it, and you end up winning by a point. And then you have the Texas Tech game from a couple years ago where it took, you know, who knows what would have happened in overtime, but Texas Tech blocked a field goal that KU would have won it, and then they just lateral the ball for some dumb reason. KU recovers, they get another field goal, and they make it. You've had to win fluky games in your Big 12 wins ever since the last non-one where something weird didn't happen was the 2014 win you had uh, for KU, I forget if it was Iowa State or West Virginia. That's kind of where this team is still at right now. I don't think they're to a point yet where you're expecting them, if they do win a Big 12 game, it's it's just going to be, oh, they just were clearly the better team that day. It's going to take a little bit of luck and fluke going your way in addition to being closer to a team. And this is one of those games remaining, it's this in West Virginia, that I view as being, well, if the other team is not on their A game and you play your A game, then you have a chance. And it's a lot that has to go right, so I'm not going to pick Kansas to win. But this is definitely one of KU's more winnable games. And a lot of it is going to rest and hinge on the defense in continuing to do what they did against Texas Tech last year in terms of being able to be opportunistic, force turnovers. You can't really bank on it, but you kind of hope for it. And then you hope for things to look a lot different after the bye week. Kenny Logan uh, in the back end, the safety, Caught up with him yesterday at KU Football Player Media Availability, and they had a lot of breakdowns in the secondary in that Iowa State game. We'll see if they can get that right this week. A lot will rely on the veteran in the back end and Kenny Logan. Here is Kenny Logan and me uh, having a conversation yesterday. What would you say is the biggest thing you guys worked on during the bye week? Um, just cleaning up the little things, making sure we're getting our communication better, just uh, trying to get better and work as one. Is it different this year with what you guys did during the bye week than previous years where because the staff joined late, maybe you've been having to do more, and maybe this is over the course of season two, more just internal stuff than planning for the opponent? Um, I feel like this week uh, we just tried to clean up our stuff, tried to clean up little things that we needed to get this team better, and then we were going to move on and focus on uh, our opponent coming the following week. So that's just what we did. What do you think has been the biggest improvement that you guys have had from week one of the season to where you're at now? Um, I would say we're still fighting all four quarters. Uh, I believe we just have to just put it together now. I think with there as a team, I just feel like we have to put it together and just come together and get us a W. Yeah, the Iowa State loss was, was obviously tough with the score. So what was kind of the message from the coaches and, and the players like yourself, the leaders in the locker room to try to keep it going? 
Um, just continue to lead, just continue to uh, push guys to get better, uh, continue to demand excellence from everybody, no matter the score, and just keep going, keep your head up, and just move on to the next week. What's going to be the biggest challenge with Texas Tech? Um, it's really just going to be on us. We got to execute at a high level, and we got to play our brand of football, and we got to play it for four quarters. You guys won the game two years ago against Tech. Uh, last year's a three-point game in Lubbock. Is there anything you take from those matchups that makes you feel more confident about this one? Um, no, not really. Uh, I take every opponent as a new one, a new year, so we're not really uh, kind of piggybacking off last year. We're just focusing on this year and just trying to make it the best for the opportunity. And you heard the first answer from Kenny Logan talking about, you know, trying to work as one, trying to clean some things up. I think that is in reference to some of the mistakes they made at the back end in the Iowa State game that led to just wide-open receivers. Those are things that, like, as, as a Kansas fan, you, you watch the games and go, man, why can't we just eliminate those types of mistakes? And they're not, I don't know, it, it's hard, who do you put the blame on, right? These are young corners, and so there's going to be mistakes, and you kind of just have to work through that this season, but also you'd hope that you would be getting them prepared enough to to avoid that, but then again, like... If you try to teach somebody something and they're not listening or they just don't get it or they don't remember it, like, what can you do? So I don't really know what you do with that, but certainly there are growing pains this season. And we're seeing that a lot on the defensive side of the ball. And that's one thing that, like, bar none, you you can't allow that, right? It's, it's one thing if, you know, Oklahoma throws a jump ball to Marvin Mims and he just mosses the, the corner defender or... Uh, the quarterback throws a tight window throw in between a defender who has solid coverage, but he's not all over him, and the guy's just faster, and he makes a nice catch on a perfect throw, right? It's one thing for that to happen. It's another to just give up free yards, free points on on breakdowns. You just can't have that, and I'm sure that was, as Kenny Logan said, a big emphasis in that bye week that you'd hope gets corrected as soon as this week. I also thought it was interesting uh, and I tried to get this with all the players we talked to, just kind of understanding what the bye week was for. And I'll I'll talk to Brandon McAnderson tomorrow, and and I'll ask him what his experiences were when he was playing, like when they had a bye week, were they using that extra week for an extra week of preparation, or was it for more internal evaluation? And, and I, I would imagine with this team, that was kind of my thought going in, and I was just curious about it, that this team was going to use the bye week for internal evaluation because they have been so far behind just in terms of missing out on those extra spring practices. So that would help you catch up at least a little bit, even if you're not all the way there, even if you're not fully there. And that's just kind of where you are with this team. You're just constantly in catch-up. You're never going to be able to make up for it this year. You won't be able to make up for it till this offseason, which is unfortunate. But maybe just that one extra week can do wonders for this team more than other teams on a normal bye week because it just percentage-wise means more into how many weeks of preparation, internal evaluation you've had with this staff versus what other coaches and, and other staffs have had. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot riding on this game for a couple of reasons. One, this or West Virginia is your best chance at a win remaining. This is coming off the Iowa State game, which was kind of an embarrassment. You're trying to continue to capture fans' attentions as we head closer to basketball season. And if you get blown out in this one, a game that you're hoping to at least be competitive because it is one of your more winnable games left, then all of a sudden that focus really goes to the basketball season. And on top of that, you're just 
trying to build things the right way. Um, you heard Kenny Logan talk about, you know, from the leadership and the locker room perspective, just trying to move on and, and continuing to demand excellence. And I believe they're continuing to do that and they're continuing to buy in and, and fight for Lance Leipold. And that's when you really worry when the kids aren't continuing to fight for, you know, at the end of games and, and you're not competing from that standpoint. That's not even close to happening right now. And I would hope it's not in year one of a new head coach. Um, and like I said, I don't think that's happening at all. But it gets a lot harder when you continue to lose games by big amounts. So you're almost looking for that proof of coming off that big loss that, no, we're, we're back on the right track here, right? We're back in the right process. So go out, be competitive. Put a game to Texas Tech. Heck, try to win the game, right? That'd be pretty cool. So uh, the defense is going to have, obviously, a big part in that and hasn't been too good this season the offense, you're continuing to see certain things that you can pull away and pluck away and say, yeah, that game, we were excited with how Jason Bean looked. Or that game, how about those receivers, some of the catches they made? Or the running game, like Devin Neal, he looked really good. Or the offensive line, we're starting to see some improvement from them, especially you know in the wide zone scheme or not giving up sacks lately. You're seeing that improvement in certain areas, even if it's inconsistent improvement, because improvement's not always linear. It's not always to say, hey, we're a D this game, a C this game, a B this game, and an A the game after that, and it's always just a linear improvement. You might have a C game, then a D game, then an A game, then a D game, then a B game, right? It's going to jump around, but the important thing is you're having linear improvement where overall it's getting better, and on average it's getting better, and you're having more of those good games more often, right? You're getting that from the offense, you know? Jason Bean hasn't bit gone from good to great uh, from game to game. You know, you've had a good game, then maybe a down game, then maybe an even better game than the first game. And that's okay. That's very much okay, especially for this program where they're at right now. But that's the problem. We haven't seen that from the defense. Coming off the bye week, you hear about that self-internal evaluation. I think more than anything, you're looking for the defense this week to not have the communication errors, to not have plays where the receiver catches the ball and he's wide open 20 yards down the field, nobody's within him, to not have tackling issues, to just be sound fundamentally. And if you get beat athletically, you get beat athletically. But at least be sound, know your assignments, and play hard. That's all you're looking for. And then maybe the results will come. Maybe you will get lucky with the turnovers. Maybe you'll force them into third and longs. You can hold them down to a bad third down percentage like you did last time you played them. And maybe you won't give up 40, 50 points in this game. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout.